Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Do you love clothes, jewelry, fashion, and style? My guest does too. Joining me in a little bit, we'll dive into the topic of how she worked in the fashion district in Manhattan for over four years in the fashion industry, and she'll join me to talk about fashion, reconciling our Catholic faith with a love of fashion if you have one. And even if you maybe have given up on wearing nice clothes, you think that fashion is impossible on a budget, especially in the economy today, we'll actually talk about that today on Trending with key tips and ideas. But now what I want to talk about is hospitality. My first guest today is Danielle Heckenkamp, and she's an author and freelance writer. She wrote an article that piqued my interest last month. It was titled, A Resurgence in the Forsaken Art of Feminine Hospitality. And I remember some years ago when I found out that actually, well, hospitality was actually considered a virtue. And I find it something that's been somewhat lost and I am at fault for this myself as well. I think about it how often it maybe you've been to someone's home and you're just thirsty and you've not been offered a cup of water and you maybe feel awkward asking, why is that? Why, why is this something that sometimes so simple can maybe make us feel unwelcomed or not, but what's the bigger picture when it comes to hospitality? That's what we're going to unpack today. And I think this touches on much of the dissatisfaction among women, this kind of self-disappointment that can occur at times, this desire for something different, for something more, even for rather feminine things and how we interact day to day that are missing. I remember when I got married, one of my key things I really wanted was a beautiful tea set. And some people who saw it on my registry laughed and others really indulged me. And I'm so grateful. It's probably my most used item in my home when people come over and I love it. So we're going to talk about, without further ado, hospitality. Welcome to Trending, Danielle. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I want to look at this from a bigger picture before we get into the nitty-gritty of working on hospitality within our own homes. And that was what intrigued me in part about the article. You comment that this idea of hospitality and this natural proclivity for women toward that sense of service and welcoming people into their homes that used to be looked at a little more simply, especially a generation or two ago, has now in many respects been hijacked by I would say the feminist culture that we live in, where women in this pressure to have it all have been told that their time and energy is better spent in the office, in a job, rather than at times welcoming the very people who are in or might come into their home. Right. I think there has been, unfortunately, in society, it's you either have to have this career path or you're staying home. And there, and even when you're staying home, there's also a level of, mm, that's not good enough. And it's the competition with men. And ultimately, I think 
women, we need to be in competition with our own personal self. And part of that is through the giving of ourselves. And you can go back to natural law. God gave us the ability to bear children. That is a gift of self. So naturally, there's this inclination for women to constantly give in a charitable manner to the point that it hurts sometimes, right? As a mother, you give so much of yourself, but there's always this desire for it. Why do we love beautiful things? Why do, why does a tea set engage us? It's because it's, it's, there's more than just the item. It's the memories, it's the service, it's giving back. And unfortunately, I think a lot has been lost. Like you mentioned, why do you go to someone's house and you're not offered a glass of water because it's Mm. not taught anymore, unfortunately. And it's something that even holding a door, my, I always tell my sons, hold, hold, make sure you hold a door. (laughs) And recently a woman came up to me and said, your son held the door when I came, when I came in and held it when I went out. And Mm. I was like, okay. And I just, so I went back to my boys (laughs) and I said, thank you. Thank you. You listened something I've been teaching you. And it's, it's funny you mentioned, by the way, just opening doors, because as a child, I was even taught as a girl, if you hold you hold the door for someone who's older than you, it's a thing that you do right. to be polite. It wasn't just boys. Well, predominantly, yes, we talk about that as a culture of respect toward women. It was it's something you did to someone that was older than you, whether it's opening a door or giving your seat to someone. Uh, those yes. were significant things that used to be taught and. I do want to share just a little story because I love that you mentioned that people commented on your son, even just taking up you know, that door and opening it for them. When you, when you mentioned the glass of water story, I remember a couple of years ago, I went to someone's house and I it was around lunch or dinner time. I don't remember which, but it was around a meal time and I didn't expect them to feed me. There's always that awkward feeling when you go to someone's house, you didn't quite eat, you probably should have eaten and you kind of hope, right? Hope that maybe there will be something <laughs> offered and there was nothing offered. And I didn't plan on staying long, but end up being pulled and pulled into conversations and it stood out to me. I was never offered water and I was never offered food. And I felt very awkward even asking for a glass of water in that circumstance. And I probably should have just asked anyways, right? We shouldn't be afraid of burdening people in a good respect. But what stood out to me is so much of the conversation centered around what was being achieved in this person's life. You know, what's happening? And I know this comes from a judgmental perspective, but sometimes we get so wrapped up in ourselves, myself included, that we miss that sense of meeting other people's very basic needs in a loving way. And I think, like you said, that ties into the feminist culture we live in. I think it does. And I think it, um, what it does is it makes, we don't want to look weak. And the feminist culture has pushed women to the point of you have to do exactly what men do. Well, men were not given the gift to be that hospitable person. Now, some are. Some have been taught very well, but it is not as natural for men. So I think with women, we're constantly, oh, you don't need to hold that door for us. We can do it ourselves. We don't want to look weak, whereas actually there's a lot of strength in giving yourself constantly to other people, whether it's making sure there's always food available, just laying out Mm. some crackers and cheese at a book club, a pitcher of water. There's so many ways to be a hospitable guest without overcomplicating it also. Mm. And And a dear friend, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, tell your story. Oh, a dear friend of mine, she loves hosting. And she always has, she's always making food, always has food available. 
And that's, she never wants anyone to go hungry. And it doesn't matter whether you're eating a lot of crackers and salsa or whatever it is, but mm. people have that memory of her. She's associated with food and, and enjoying memories over food. And that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's a gift. I think that it, it's a lost art. And even the idea of cooking for people. I love to cook. I love to cook for people. But I also understand the side of even in the economy we're in, food's expensive. But I think back, and I think this is really interesting. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory, by the way. We're talking about the resurgence in the forsaken art of feminine hospitality. Maybe you see this in the boom, returning to everything from homesteading, growing your own food, to even just this desire to get back into things such as knitting and learning how to sew. It's happening. It's there, not just in the Catholic culture, but the secular culture. And it's really touching on the lost art, as my guest today Danielle Heckenkamp is sharing. She's an author and freelance writer. It comes back to that virtue of hospitality. And I was thinking about this, Danielle, when I read your article that my great grandmother, who I adored, she she's the reason you know I started going to daily mass and a lot of different things. But when I looked at my great grandmother, looking back, her house, her door was a revolving door. So many people from the extended family, extended aunts, uncles, people who weren't even aunts and uncles, who you were told to call aunt and uncle, to cousins, came in and out of her home. And she fed every single person with home cooked food and food that she bought. And grand people would bring her gifts on occasion. I remember, certain people might bring her a big beer and she'd indulge in a beer from time to time <laughs> or whatever it might be. But I wasn't until maybe a year or two ago, I happened to be talking to my mom about this. And she said, there was a reason why your grandma always chose simple things to have around the house, whether it was a big batch of zucchini or whether it was beans and rice or offering people bologna on a sandwich with ketchup if it got late at night, that there were really simple things that she had that were cost effective, but so that she could be hospitable to those who came through her door. Right, right. And that... That actually makes me think of my great-grandmother. So my great-grandparents were from Portugal and they were poor, extremely, extremely poor. But she, when they, and then they came over to the U.S. But she said, the Portuguese people are very poor, but we always had big dinners. Not elaborate, elaborate foods, but where everyone came around. And that was the time that you got together and you shared stories because that's what they had to make memories. They didn't have vacations and parties and all these things that complicate our lives now, they had each other. And that's what hospitality is. It's bringing people together, whether you want to have a four course meal or you want to sit down and just have a glass of wine together. That's it. I love that you just mentioned that. And I think that's a whole other area that could be unpacked, that idea of vacations and parties that it used to be people didn't do that all the time, yet that seems to be the thing you do, right? The thing that there's pressure on people to do. I mean, we're not taking a vacation this year. Which I guess you could call it we're taking a staycation, but just really being dedicated this year to take some time just together, right? Making sure that we're really spending that quality time together in a different way that I think vacations help to highlight. But you're mentioning hospitality as part of that missing link of making memories. Can you actually explain for those who maybe don't quite understand what is a hospitality? So hospitality is really just friendliness, kindness, and the giving of yourself to make other people feel welcome. Whether that is putting a smile on your face, you can even be a hospitable person when you're in line at a grocery store. 
just make conversation with the person. You want that person to feel like a human being. Now it can be taken to even a higher level as you have people in your home and you cook for them. But you, we want, we want to change the world, right? And we can only do it one person at a time. And that's within ourselves and teaching our children. And so being hospitable is being kind and charitable to everyone we meet, whether it's giving of our something of ourselves, whether it's a kind word or a smile or giving something bigger. So let's talk a little bit more about in your article, you discuss how women have a hospitable nature. What do you mean by this? Because it sounds like you're saying this is more second nature to women. It, it involves everything from caring for people. Can you tease that out a little bit more? Sure. I I do think women, it comes more second nature for us. And I do think this stems partly as a gift from God that we bear life. We have to care for the for babies, for children. Um, of course, though, it's something that has to be developed. It's not something that you come out and you know that, oh, I need to hold that door for that sub- for that person or get them a glass of water or this is how I have a table setting. It has to be developed. And there is so much beauty in that we are able to, God gives us our children for a full 18 years because we're able to slowly develop these things in our children because it's a constant reminder. As adults, we need a reminder and, oh, okay, I have to do this. This is this is how I should behave in this setting. And so as children, they get to learn. And as, as mothers and women, this does come natural for us. Now, you don't have to be a mother to be hospitable. It is a second nature, whether you're a mother or not. It's just if you're going to grow in it and if you're going to develop. And if we think of how so many religious orders of nuns, they were teachers, they were nurses, they cared for the poor. That's that's hospitality. That's it's this is not something that only, you know, an elite class can reach. It is anyone who desires to see Christ in other people. And so it's something that everyone can strive for, no matter their vocation in life. It's the service industry, and we do see men and women in the service industry, but it's an area that women in particular love to engage in, that customer-facing engagement and interaction. Even if you see it at the highest levels, perhaps in negotiation, business to business, like we see often this is coming out in the way women are working in the workforce, even in, I would argue, uh, the STEM type of careers. I even see it, it's neat to see with my sister, for example. She is very, um, very, very well educated and certified in all kinds of things, including IT and, but specifically cybersecurity. Yet her favorite side of cybersecurity is actually interacting with the clients to help solve their problems and the relationships that are built. And isn't that so neat that that's the human dimension of our work coming out in women who are working even in the STEM fields today? Absolutely. And that's, that's that connection that women desperately seek. And you, you can see this is a major difference between men and women. Women naturally seek out friendships. We need that, we need that connection with each other. It's, it's something different than man, men have. Men can just be in a group of men, not know each other, talk about whatever, and still not know each other's names and then move on. <laughs> Where women, women, I have, I have five boys and I grew up with a lot of brothers, so <laughs> I'm used to this, but women need that connection. They need that bond and they want to help other, other people. Let's talk a little bit about what you said earlier in that 
hospitality has to be developed in people. When I was reading your article, I was really intrigued by the fact that you said women have this proclivity toward hospitality. It's in their nature. You mentioned just this turn toward beauty, service, uh, nurturing, right? Even the way we can nurture with our bodies and having children. But you also said that this proclivity is meant to be developed and matured. I was really taken aback by that because I hadn't really thought about that. As women, we naturally have this great desire to grow, but I think sometimes we do sit in our stagnation without that encouragement. So what would you say is growth or what are concrete skills in maturing your sense of hospitality? So, well, I think a huge thing, I'm thinking back to my own life and when I was younger, how I would host people coming over is much different than when I do now. Um, I was more, because I was younger, I was more on that thought like, okay, I have to have a really clean house. Everything has to be perfect (laughs) now. And I have to have the, you know, I want to try this amazing dessert that I never tried before. And I'm going to do this recipe that I know is not going to turn out at the last minute. But as I've gotten older with several kids, the reality of my life has changed. And so has my hospitality has developed. And I recently heard someone say to me, and this is just, it's so beautiful. She said, if you are coming to see me, my door is always open. If you are coming to see my house, make an appointment. Now, I'm not saying you have a messy (laughs) house because that is part of hospitality and being respectful of other people is having a clean house. But it's okay if you have some school papers on the table. Or there's some toys. Like when our priest comes over to dinner, he says, oh, I love all the toys. It shows it's a family. And there's so much beauty in that. So I think sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves. And developing in hospitality is finding an even balance on caring Mm -hmm. for the people that come into our home, but caring for ourselves. Because, you know, someone, not everyone is meant to be making macaroons. That's not their thing. But maybe instead they love to make homemade salsa. And so that's part of the development is finding your strengths, finding how you can service other people in your home or even outside of your home. And sometimes you have to buy the snacks and you don't make it yourself too. I remember (laughs) I'm ratting my mom out a little bit here, but sometimes with four kids who were really little, it it wasn't kind of a thing to always be able to make something. My mom's a fantastic cook. Actually, when we were living in Michigan and missing food in California, the food that my husband and I wanted was my mom's food. But when I remember sometimes we go to places and you just don't have time. I do the same thing now and you buy something at the store and she'd say, yes, I made it. You know, kind of just like, yes, here you go. And if people ask you like, mm-hmm, you know, kind of biting your yep. tongue as someone asks, did you make this? Which why someone would ask that to begin with is just right. rude, right? I think that something maybe you learn not to ask. But it's so funny because I see people so disappointed when they maybe don't know how to cook or aren't able to make something and they say, oh yeah, here, you know, I just bought it at the store and, you know, maybe they, they feel bad about it. Don't feel bad. It's still you giving something. And when we talk about maturing in our skills, it's having the humility to say, I didn't have time, but look what I was able to pick up. Or, hey, I actually am trying to learn how to cook. And I think that's an area, Marie, that, or sorry, Danielle, looking at your middle name, that people are struggling with today and I think there's a lot of controversy over cooking among women and there are some great cooks my husband can cook very well uh, when he wants to cook and chip in with cooking he's always willing to but 
I think that there's a lot of vacancy of that ownership of cooking among women today, but I think it's because it wasn't passed on or developed and matured or matured in a lot of women. Right. I think I, it was, a, it's interesting because you, with the focus so much on careers there, something has to give. Right. And so if you, if you're at a career all the time, how can you be present everywhere for everyone and everything? And that's one of the lies of feminism that really gets me is, no, you can't have it all. You have to choose. Now, it doesn't mean either or, but something has to give. You have to be willing to give. Now, so maybe if you have a career, you give a little bit of the hospitality. You can't learn how to make sourdough bread in a month if you don't have time for that. So instead, you just learn how to make a basic loaf of bread. And I think, you know, when you say buying store-bought items, of course, like you take, you take what you can and you do what you can. And my husband, I think this is where men are very good sometimes at seeing the reality of a situation where we say, oh, no, we can do it. We can do it all. Because there have been times I love to make homemade birthday cakes for my children. And there's been times my husband has said, you're really busy right now. Are you sure you don't want me to just pick up one from the store? <laughs> yes. Right. And that's where I have to step back in my humility and say, you're right. If you can see that I'm that stressed, then yes, let's pick mm-hmm. one. And you know what? Normally my children, they said, it's okay, mom. You don't have to. It's okay. You always make us one. And it's just they want to be remembered on their birthday. And it's okay. They don't always have a homemade cake. So we do what we can. (laughs) And you're showing that sense of dissatisfaction that I think we can have in ourselves among women. And maybe for you, it's not the fact that you didn't make your kid a homemade birthday cake. But maybe it's that you can't cook. Or maybe it's that you feel like you don't have the home you would like people to see presented to them. There's so many things, I think, where we feel dissatisfied, inadequate when it comes to hospitality. So we throw our arms up. But I'm learning more and more, and I love that you mentioned it, especially with having a lot of kids, right, that your perspective changes. And that's where something in your article also stood out to me, Danielle. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. That's Danielle Heckenkamp. She's an author and freelance writer. She wrote an excellent article, A Resurgence in the Forsaken Art of Feminine Hospitality. And you commented on the difference between hospitality and what I would call this idea of perceived perfectionism for social media. I remember I had a family member who after she had kids and then she had her second and she had her third, she was always posting Danielle on social media, all of these fantastic homemade meals and all of this homemade whipped up desserts and every time I saw it oh my goodness and even at the time I think I might have been in college there was this little sense of like not jealousy but just like oh man I wish I could do that or that's what I want to do and yet for a lot of people that's not what motherhood is or it's a desire that we have but we we don't necessarily get to meet that and yet that's kind of that perceived perfectionism in part that we see the perfectly picked up house the decorations the way you exactly want to have them or the desserts that are perpetually made. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between welcoming hospitality versus that perceived perfectionism that we're trying to achieve? Right. I think this is one of the biggest downfalls with social media is that it's very unrealistic. You don't see in you see a millisecond of a person's life and it's with all the toys moved away and the counters are cleared off, right? And so you just get this perfect picture with a preset filter on it and it looks amazing. And I think for women, 
it's very difficult to deal with and not all women. Um, but I think it needs always in the back of our mind, we have to remember this is not reality. This is if, you know, if that person says they have six kids and their house is perfectly manicured, that's probably not the truth. <laughs> so unless they have a lot of people helping them. So I think we just have to remember that that was not the type of hospitality that our generations past dealt with. They, mm. they were neighbors. They came to each other's houses. The kids were running outside in the backyard with no shoes on. And they sat down and have, had a cup of coffee. And that's how, through the, how a lot women got through their day was they sat mm. and they talked and then they went back to work in their home or wherever they were working. And we don't have that now. It's, it's so difficult because we are so much on these schedules of superficiality to a level between sports and vacations and parties and, and work. And there's no time left for family and friends and even strangers. My, my daughter works at a grocery store and mm -hmm. she said, there's so many unhappy people. And, mm -hmm. and I said, I hope you're smiling at them. And she says, I do. <laughs> I try to make them laugh. And, and so it's kind of like a challenge. I always tell my kids that I said, try to make that person smile. Maybe they had a rough day. And there's just no time left for it, unfortunately. Right. And right. I really hope society, this really continues to pick up for women can find where they can excel as, as a feminine woman and still be able to give back to others. We'll post a link to this article, Resurgence in Forsaken Art of Feminine Hospitality. Danielle, thank you for joining me. That's Danielle Heckenkamp. She's an author and a freelance writer. Fantastic topic of hospitality. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Write me on social media. Share your stories about hospitality, learning it, growing into it, desiring to have it more. You can find Danielle on social media, Instagram specifically. She is found at homegrown.living. I've tagged her on social media. Just follow me on Instagram at Timory, T-I-M. M-M-E-R-I-E. -E. She's tagged in my story. I'll be right back. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Do you love clothes, jewelry, fashion, and style? My guest does too, and she's going to talk to us about reconciling fashion style and Catholicism. It's not a stretch and it doesn't require frumpy clothes. We will touch on modesty as well, but the bigger picture is, I think, really exciting. Now, Lillian Fallon recently wrote a book called Theology of Style, and it's very relevant because I'm tying this into our Pope St. John Paul II Theology of the Body series. As we've been unpacking all 133 catechetical talks of his, her book is peppered with inspiration and quotes from his Theology of the Body. I want to unpack a little bit of her story. We'll get into fashion, practical fashion tips. Have you given up wearing nice clothes or buying new clothes because you think it's not possible to on a budget or as a parent or maybe it seems impractical? We're actually going to talk about that today on Trending. Lillian, welcome to Trending. Hello, how are you? I'm great. I really love your book. I started reading it today, and I'm really looking forward to unpacking more of it. I want to dive a little bit into your story. I was really enamored by how much your story, in many respects, reminded me of mine, and that I grew up in the dancing world. And I thought, and I was going to go on to dance professionally, coming out of high school, going into college, but I had this little bit of fear and concern about being sucked away by the secular culture. And at that time, dance, the 
dance industry was significantly changing from a perspective that was very looked at as classical and honoring the body and the gift of dance to really sexualizing it. And so I was inspired by your story because it was very similar. I know that you grew up loving fashion and even actually had a plan to go to the Fashion Institute of Technology in Manhattan. Can you tell me a little bit about your story and where you found yourself? Yes, of course. Yeah. So I grew up loving fashion. One of the first things that I started drawing were little outfits. And I always had this dream of moving to New York and conquering the fashion scene. And I ended up going to Ave Maria University. And it ended up being providential because I took a theology of the body course, which then informed my entire perspective on the human person. Because when I was a teenager, I thought, well, if I'm interested in fashion, does that make me vain? Does that make me materialistic? Should I just go around wearing a sackcloth? But because I took theology of the body, it really informed seeing the whole human person, body and soul, and that the body and the soul are both good and beautiful. So when I began working in fashion, I was able to talk about St. John Paul II or incorporate that into my writing and in my work. And um, I decided to leave the fashion industry to pursue theology of style in my book and giving talks. But but yeah, it was um, I, I also remember that crossroad of like, is this something that can coexist with each other? Something that seems materialistic and worldly, um, but then actually finding the truth um, thanks to, you know, theology of the body. When we look at Theology of the Body in this series that we've been unpacking, fundamental to Pope St. John Paul II's work is this idea of the gift of self, this hermeneutic of gift, as he calls it, in interpreting everything we do in living by this dynamic perspective that our lives are made to be a gift. And we see this in the gift of femininity and masculinity and its differences and unique contribution. And you highlight in your book, Theologist, Theology of Style, which, by the way, is now for sale. We're posting a link on social media as well as in the episode notes for today's show, if you want to catch it there. You comment about how clothing is one way that we can live out that calling to be a gift of self. Can you tie together this idea of clothing and how that is a part of the gift of who we are given to other people? Yes, of course. Yeah. So I love to think about personal style as really a tool for understanding how we were made in the image of God. And really, the more that we dress in a way that helps us to see ourselves as God sees us, the more we're able to share ourselves, give ourselves back to God, but then also to share ourselves with those who encounter us. Because clothing is a means of communication. And we don't, sometimes we don't realize what we're communicating and telling other people through the way that we dress. But if we're consciously investing in our personal style in a way that reveals the beauty of the interior and dignifies the body, then we are telling other people, hey, I am made in the image of God. And also calling them to contemplate them to themselves like, oh, I'm also made in the image of God because personal style is all very inspiring. Like when we see somebody wearing something that is beautiful and really is reflecting their unrepeatability it makes us think, oh, wow, I am also somebody who is 
a unique human being. Why don't I dress in that way too? And I just think it's so important with personal style to use that as a way to understand how we have been thought of from the beginning by God, that we've been made for eternity, that there's no one else who is just like us. So when we dress in that way to share that, that is such a gift of self, and it falls into that call of to find yourself in gift of self, gaudium et spes, that only man will find himself in sincere gift of self. We live that out in our everyday lives and in our personal style. That's just another way in which we can share the inherent beauty and worth of our personhood. In unpacking your book, I really liked these comments on style and how it's unique because it combines what we have in the material world with an individual, with you, with me, and how differently each of us dress. And isn't that so countercultural to what we see today in the fashion industry that you kind of have this mindset where you have to conform rather than making it your own? This is there's this conformity of every kind everyone kind of wearing what everyone else wears. I see it perpetually right now in the crop top <laughs> outfits that it seems to continue to be a trend for well over five years now. I thought that was left in the 90s or in other generations. But I remember when I was in kind of making this transition between middle school and high school, and I started dressing just like all my other friends and friendships I had made. And my mom commented one time as those friendships were kind of falling apart and there was a lot of kind of bad dynamics between these girls that I had been interacting with. My mom commented that I had been losing myself in the midst of those friendships. I changed how mm. I dressed. There were a lot of things that had changed. Yeah, I see that in terms of the current culture we live in, that we tend yeah. to kind of have this pressure to dress in a particular way that maybe doesn't fit our body style, maybe our age or state in life. Yet what I loved in your book is you commented about how much you love fashion. You saw yourself even in the fashion industry, losing a sense of your own personal style. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy because you think that in New York City, you're going to find people who are dressing completely differently from one another, but you actually find people who are very much following the crowd and the trends, and they all look the same. And I started assimilating. And wearing the exact same thing that everybody else was wearing because I was so desperate to fit in and to belong. And that's such a normal human desire. We are all called to unity. We want communion with each other. But the problem is, is that when we incorporate that with an industry or just kind of pop culture in general, we find ourselves essentially becoming, I don't know, like slaves to whatever this like false, like what this uh, industry is telling us what to do. And that natural desire for community and for union with others and to belong ends up, we, we end up losing that God given one of a kind, that sense of um, individuality. And so I found for myself that like, I didn't recognize myself in my faith life actually started diminishing. It's funny that you bring that up about your friends. Like, as well, where you kind of lost yourself. Like when I was in New York and just trying to be like everybody else there, um, I was really looking to the world to affirm me. I was looking to uh, the culture to affirm me. And if we use personal style as a way of understanding how God made us, 
then all we will care about is like, how does like, how, how does God see me? Like, am, am I good with God? Like the only affirmation that I'm trying to get is, you know, my Lord and savior. And, um, it, yeah, like when it's, it's amazing how personal style is actually something that can help your relationship with God in that respect. I think this is so keen to a woman's desire to be seen, to be beautiful, to be loved. Mm. And it ties back into Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. As we've been unpacking this series here on Trending, we're walking through all 133 of his catechetical talks, really diving into what isn't just a theology of sex or marriage, which it is often reduced to, but actually human anthropology he focuses in his theology of the body on this idea of self-discovery and how fundamental freedom is and being able to make yourself a gift of self and also in understanding and seeing that complementarity of the unique gifts that men and women uniquely have, not just within sexuality and the sexual complementarity made for creating children. And I thought this was very keen in your book in that you emphasize that connection to self-discovery. And I saw Pope St. John Paul II's work right there because we lose ourselves in fashion, especially for me being a mom of two kids now, and your body changes. You have children, you need to wear different clothes when you're nursing versus when you're recovering from postpartum, when you don't fit into the same clothes. And it's easy to sometimes to kind of throw your hands up in the air and just wear whatever. But what I found mm-hmm. is that fashion, especially for me, is such, I think, a key part of feeling presentable and like you said giving yourself to others that that effort that sometimes seems meaningless or wasted actually it's okay to take that extra time whether it's for yourself but also in presenting yourselves to others as well oh absolutely and in my book i also talk about how feminine beauty is such a gift that is something is so is so unique to women in general and our beauty is essentially a part of that, the way that God made us biologically, which is that we can, we can conceive life in our wombs. And our beauty is a sign of that raised nature. Um, and when we dress in a way that expresses our beauty, all beauty calls those who contemplate it to contemplate the divine. And as women, we are able to dress and wear things that especially emphasize that beauty. And then when those who encounter us are like, wow, the the beauty of a woman makes me contemplate who made this woman. And also just the beauty of a woman points towards, um, you know, think about our lady who is the ultimate woman, the ultimate um, beautiful role model for us. And then just the femininity of the church itself. We refer to the church as female, the um, femininity is something that when we, especially when we like dress in that way um, to uphold it, that really is just like, it's upholding the gift that we've been given. And the more we do that, I think that it fills us with confidence and it informs how we face the day and how we see ourselves and how we interact with others. Mm-hmm. That's Lillian Fallon. She's the author of the new book, Theology of Style. It just came in today for me. It's out and available for you. We're going to come back. We'll touch on everything from modesty to thrifty purchases. If you're in a season where you're on a budget and you want to find quality clothes still, it actually is possible and sometimes more likely when you head toward the thrift store. We'll be right back here on Trending.
We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Have you given up on wearing nice clothes or is fashion seemingly impossible on a budget to you? My guest today spent four years working in the fashion industry in New York, actually in Manhattan, and she recently wrote a book titled Theology of Style, and it reconciles our faith, fashion with our Catholic faith. It's not a stretch. You don't have to dress frumpy. And I want to dive a little bit more into the theology of it and then talk about practical thrifting at a time when the economy is killing everyone's budget today, especially things that might seem frivolous, such as clothing, but aren't. And that's what I love about your book. So talk to me, Lillian. My guest today is Lillian Fallon, the author of Theology of Style. In your book, you talked about how part of your inspiration for reconciling faith with fashion was Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And that's why I'm tying this kind of right smack in as a little bit of a break in our Theology of the Body series, where in one of the paragraphs in the seventh talk, he talks about how the structure of the human person's body is structured in a way that he says permits the human person to be the author of genuine human activity. And he says, in this activity, the body expresses the person. And you, it sounds like it was just a light bulb clicked for you when you saw that the connection between the structure of the body and being the author of our human activity pointed for you toward this dimension of giving of yourself through fashion. Can you tease that out a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Before I took Theology of the Body, I really saw the body as this thing that was really against my soul and was trying to drag me down to hell. And it was the thing that was tempting me and that the soul was the good thing. And um, so I thought that my interest in fashion was like, oh, well, this is a materialistic kind of body related thing. It must not be very good. But St. John Paul II says that the body and only the body can make visible the invisible, the spiritual and the divine. And it was that light bulb moment because I thought, wow, if the body and the soul are inseparable, then that means that the things that I put on my body must be important too. And that if the body makes visible the invisible, then that means that when I put things on my body, I can aid in the manifestation of my soul. I can aid in expressing the beauty of the invisible parts of me. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that was like, whoa, I need to write a book about this. (laughs) Well, in what you just mentioned of this idea that the body was what was pulling you down, that was bad, it was actually a heresy that was knocked out by the church during the early church, and it's known as Gnosticism. So I think that's significant because even today, a lot of people struggle with this idea that the body is bad, that there's something wrong with desiring things such as beautiful things. It's only Mm -hmm. wrong if we are have a disordered or inordinate desire toward things. So talk to me a little bit about another one of the quotes from Pope St. John Paul II, where we've been unpacking this in Theology of the Body, where he talks about how the body manifests the soul. Tie that to fashion. Oh, yeah. So if the body manifests the soul, and like think about our expressions, like our um, when we're crying or we're smiling, those are things in which we're communicating with other people, our interior self. And so when we're wearing things that similarly express the interior, we're telling other people 
who we are on a much deeper level than just, you know, oh, I'm just throwing pieces of fabric on my body. You're actually communicating the deepest parts of yourself without even saying a word. Like you can meet somebody and understand so much of who they are just based on what they're wearing. So I like to make the distinction between personal style and fashion um, because personal style really is about that process of revealing the human person while simultaneously dignifying our physical state. And as Catholics, that the physical is so important, the sacramental. Like, think about how the divine and the material are constantly coming together in our, you know, the history of our faith and the incarnation and in the Eucharist. The material and the physicality of the world is so important, and it's how we experience um, transcendence. So when we dress in a way that is revealing the beauty of the human person, that is that should be extremely important to every single Catholic, I think. What you said I thought was really profound, tying how the body manifests the soul, as Pope St. John Paul II says. You said that clothing reveals the person and dignifies our physical state. And especially as we've been unpacking this Theology of the Body series, one of the first thing that, things that happens in the garden is that after the original innocence, that spousal meaning of the body, the sexual complementarity, the gift of human life and the mystery of new human life was originally understood in this original state of happiness. When the fall occurs, the first thing that happens is the sense of being naked and clothes suddenly become necessary as a part of shame that has entered in for the first time we experience shame and shame really centers around for men, in many respects thoughts for men and clothes for women how we present our bodies and so men are often feeling this sense of shame for the way they think about others they would be ashamed for people to know and women often feel a sense of shame in terms of how they are perceived or could be perceived and so modesty is a really sensitive topic yet when you say that clothing helps to reveal the person and dignify the physical state we see all of a sudden the shift from a catholic perspective where clothing gives a sense of honor and respect to the individual so tie that for me to modesty because it's such a sensitive issue and one that i think needs to be handled very delicately yet I think is at the forefront of beautiful fashion when we actually dress modestly. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up that the fig leaf, the original clothing, which was out, first of all, a sign of disunity in the fall. But God's greatest creation is that even in things that are bad, he can bring good out of it. And it's amazing how now clothing is something that can actually aid in that lost communication that when men and women dress in a way that really upholds their masculinity and femininity and expresses that and communicates it, it can be in kind of like, um, uh, like get us back, not necessarily all the way back to, uh, before the fall, you know? Um, but it can start to reconstruct that lost communication and helping us to understand the opposite sex and the beauty of the interior of both and, and the physical. Um, and so when it comes to modesty, and it is such a sensitive topic, and whenever I talk to young girls about it, I really try and emphasize 
this point of expressing, like using personal style as a way to understand how you're an individual and how you're one of a kind first and foremost. Because sometimes we use modesty. We, if we lead with that, it can put people off. And so if we're educating young girls in their immeasurable worth and their inherent value, and we're saying, Hey, you have something beautiful to express in your identity that it will help them that will kind of lay the groundwork of dressing modestly. And it'll be something that pours out of them in everything they do when they have a strong understanding of their worth first and mm-hmm. foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's usually the angle that I try and go about it. It's like, you are so one of a kind. And the more that we understand like the truth of theology of the body, we'll want to dress in a way that upholds that and pays reverence. I like to talk a a lot about having reverence for the body because sometimes the word modesty has so much like baggage to it. But if we talk about having reverence, then it's Mm. really a gift that we are protecting. And it's not this like, oh, with rules that we have to follow. Um, And it's really this thing that we're excited to take care of because our feminine beauty is really, like I said earlier, just such a profound gift that God gave to women specifically. And I love that you say that, that we need to think about clothing as being reverential rather than focusing on modesty, although modesty is a virtue, so I think it's important we still talk about it, but it has a negative connotation today, so a different way of presenting it is very helpful. And my favorite is to talk about clothing from the perspective, when I talk to young women, of dressing to the occasion and honoring the people you're with. What I might wear when it's 85 degrees and hot in my house is going to be very different from what I might wear, what I should wear to mass or what I should wear to the grocery store or what I should wear to any number of different places, depending on who's coming around my grandparents. I think that that's really important that we have that perspective of honoring the occasion and the people who we're with. Now, in our final moments, I do want to talk about thrifting. I know when you left the fashion industry, you swore off a lot of things from shopping to magazines and you fell in love with thrifting. Can you give some inspiration for people who are trying to do clothing on a budget in just the few moments we have left? Yes. Go to the thrift store, let the clothing that you find beautiful and stand out to you. Just grab it. Try it on. Have fun. Don't take it so seriously and let yourself find beautiful garments that match the beauty of your soul while also dignifying your body and experiment and have fun when you're going thrifting. I love that. And I will say in testament to thrift storing, I need to get out there because I need to pick up new clothes. But my clothes that have lasted the longest in my wardrobe have come to the thrift store. They're higher quality. They're aligned. And I know you mentioned some of this in your book, Theology of Style, which you should pick up. That's been Lillian Fallon here on Trending. I tagged her on Instagram, but also linked to her book in the episode notes, relevantradio.com or the Relevant Radio app. Share this episode on style and hospitality with a woman in your life.